Rick Mercer joined us today to discuss his new book, The Road Years, a memoir continued, which actually picks up at a pretty pivotal point in his career. So he had some experiences to share with us ahead of the book launch Thursday night. Also, we're getting ready for the Grey Cup. Greg is on his way as we speak to Hamilton. So we checked in with Derek Taylor to tee up our Grey Cup coverage. And we also had to point out that there's something not too great happening in Hamilton right now for all those thousands of people who are about to descend on that city. And that's the fact that their transit workers are on strike. So we got into that and... We asked you about your memorable transit experiences. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's off this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 15th podcast for The Start. You know what? Once again... You think that the thing works. It's not. I'm just, I'm like, six, come on. That it's can't not be right. six degrees. We have a, for those who, who have missed the ongoing saga, <laughs> just got to give you a quick update because we have a, a monitor in our studio. Let's take had, a 36 inch, 32 inch minimum, maybe 40 inch. It's very large yeah. monitor. Like we've created a, we've, we've made a huge investment in order for us to be able just to glance up at this giant screen so that we can see the time. We can see our levels so that we know we're on the air. And then there's the temperature, the wind chill, and the wind speed, all on this giant screen. Yeah, and we've had it now for since we moved into this building back in August of 2020. So you, when you need to know the temp, you just look up, there it is. And last week, we started noticing, I think there's something goofy happening here. And when I saw that the temperature had updated, because yesterday it was stuck at, I don't know, whatever it was stuck at, but we knew it was off. And then I look up and saw a different number and thought, oh, okay, it's updating. And then I, as I read it, I thought, it's not bad out there, but it's not six degrees. It's minus one at the airport, one degree at the forks. So there you go. Anyway, and I know that it's 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 some sort of a weird glitch that is confounding our our engineers, our IT team. So sorry, sorry about that, fellas and gal. But in the meantime, we move on because I imagine you have been taking a peek at the forecast for where you are about to go, Mr. Greg. Yes, heading to Hamilton this afternoon, getting excited about, you know, I, I don't mind traveling. I hate packing. I hate the process of traveling, but I, I you know, I like going different places, if that makes sense. Yep. I like being elsewhere. Uh, I hate being away, uh, away from home, but I also like being other places. It's a very, very complicated situation for me. But yes, I'm taking a, a very close look at the weather in Hamilton. And for as nice as it's been for the last few days, few days, the Bombers were, a lot of them, probably half the team were in shorts yesterday. Went to 14, 15 degrees in Hamilton yesterday. Yeah, it's gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be warm and sunny there again uh, today. But then the weather takes a turn on Friday, where they're actually talking about uh, rain and uh, <coughs> snow flurries uh, overnight on Friday. So eleven and rain on Friday. This is from Environment Canada. Saturday mix of sun and clouds, six degrees. And it was about four degrees and sunny on Sunday. Now in the last mm, 12 hours, now there's a 30% chance of showers Okay, on Sunday 
for Grey Cup Sunday. So five degrees for a high, one for a low. So not too bad at all, but certainly not what the players have been, what they practiced in yesterday, 11 today in sunshine, tomorrow, uh, 13 degrees in Hamilton under the sunshine. So it's going to change a little bit. So if you're heading to the hammer, make sure you dress appropriately and also be prepared to deal with waiting for a taxi, waiting for an Uber, because guess what? Hamilton is in the middle of a transit strike. Yeah, and we're we're going to get more into this at six thirty-five and tell you what's happening there. And even though it's happening somewhere else, the 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 people you'll hear from in that clip that could it could be anywhere. And the issues that riders face there, they face here as well. Like there's you'll hear from a guy who says, "I got to take two buses to get to work. I can't afford a fifty or sixty dollar cab ride each way." And what I think about when I was in university, I did not have my own car. I lived in Transcona. I went to the U of M. And if the, if the transit workers went on strike, I'm not going to school. Plain and simple. You think I could afford to, to get a cab out there with my Taco Bell money? No. Not You'd a chance. You'd be in a deficit situation. <laughs> yeah. I just simply would not have gone to school. Although that year, I ended up not going to school for a different reason because of the Faculty went on strike. <laughs> so, although I still had one class. That was actually kind of like, oh, I still got to go. There was one class, my calculus class. The uh, the instructor was not In a full-fledged Indian. member of the faculty. <laughs> so I had still had to go to calculus class. So I'd get on this two buses, a 75-minute ride each way for a 50-minute class. Which I tanked anyway. I still ended up with a C. So, so that would have been, and that would have been three days a week then, because those were shorter classes. Was that Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm just uh, sorry that I just <laughs> I just had this flashback of memories. <laughs> <laughs> I was eating my peanut butter sandwich in that class too. Never made it beyond eleven thirty. I would pack myself a lunch. Like, okay, I'm going to be respond. I'm going to ration this out. No, I'm going to eat it all during this class. Yeah. Yeah. And not learn anything. So more on the transit situation <laughs> at 6.35. We often talk about issues surrounding Winnipeg transit. Issues within the system. Issues the transit workers face. Issue the transit riders face. And there's a situation happening right now in a Canadian city where, honestly, I can't think of a worse time for the transit workers to be on strike. And before we get to that, Greg, you know, you're, you've always been... Super passionate about good public transit. Why is that? Well, because it's a great equalizer. Great cities have great public transportation. Uh, New York, you could argue, in North America, the greatest city in North America, certainly one of the busiest, certainly the most dense, certainly uh, the largest city in North America. And it, the first time I went to New York back in 2013, uh, the fir- one of the first things, one of the Pieces of advice I was given before I even got out of the airport was get a transit card and just buy a week pass. It'll be the savior to all your transportation woes. And besides walking and taking maybe two taxi cabs the entire seven days I was there, all I did was ride the subway or the trains or the bus. It was absolutely 
so easy to get around. Now, understand, comparing Winnipeg and New York, that's not what I'm trying to do. But when you compare the antiquated transportation system and public transportation, the bus system here in Winnipeg, to what they have in Calgary, where I lived for several years, or Vancouver, where I spend a lot of time in my youth and in my 20s, it's night and day. And the one thing that those cities, Calgary and Vancouver, have that in comparison to Winnipeg over those decades, they've grown by leaps and bounds. And so public transportation, in my opinion, critical for building a city that works, a city that gives people an opportunity to work where they need to work and go and get educated where they need to get educated in a very large city. All right. So now we turn to the city that is dealing with a transit strike. And where is that city, Mr. Greg? Hamilton, Ontario, a place that's uh, preparing to welcome thousands of visitors for the Grey Cup. And I've been to Tim Hortons Field once back in 2021, and it is in the heart of a residential neighborhood. There's there's a school on three of the four sides. Oh, wow. Of Tim Hortons Field. Uh, there are houses, if you've been to Old Taylor Field in Regina, if you've been to Wrigley Field in Chicago, very reminiscent of that, minus the bars and all the, and the elevated uh, train that they have in Chicago that gets you to Wrigley Field. Okay, so we'll discuss more on this in a moment. But first, we just want to take you back to last week when the strike began. Here's a story from Global's Sean O'Shea from last Thursday. It was a loud beginning to the transit strike, a rally in front of Hamilton City Hall. A strike affecting 900 workers and everyone who relies on a bus to get around in this city. I'm now having to walk an extra 45 minutes instead of taking the bus, which was very easy, which I would pay for. I guess the walk's free, but I don't want to have to walk to work every day. Negotiators for the Amalgamated Transit Union local rejected a wage offer of just under 13% over four years. They wanted about 21%. I said then what I'll say now. The city's final offer is reasonable and will not change. As a young Hamilton city councillor 25 years ago, now Mayor Andrea Horvath helped end the last strike. The International Transit Union's president flew in from Washington to lend support, hoping to meet Horvath. Also, I'm in town to see if the mayor or anybody wants to sit down and try to settle this thing. The strike begins just days before the start of the Grey Cup Festival. The football championship game is a weekend away. Visitors from across Canada will be here. I'm a big CFL fan. The last thing I want to do is, in my hometown, I want to be proud of what we're doing. I've always been proud as a Hamiltonian, uh, but it's not just about the Grey Cup. It's about the everyday business that we do. The union says its members deserve more than what the city has offered. Those who depend on transit are now relying on ride shares and taxis to get around. So you're hoping what? I hope it's done by next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I won't be able to afford this every week. This man normally takes two buses to get to his job at the university. Instead of bus fare, the cost of a taxi ride, he says, is beyond reach. $50, $60 each way. Each way. That's an expensive day. Yeah, I can't do that. But there's no false optimism here about a quick settlement. Uh, you've got to plan for the long haul. So I'm here and I just told my members here, plan for the long haul, stick together, hold the line. Any moves you make, move in solidarity. 
So once again, that was Global's Sean O'Shea last Thursday on the transit strike in Hamilton. They're still on strike. The latest headline at globalnews.ca is City has to move on the money to end Hamilton's transit strike, Union says. And look, this isn't just in Hamilton. In Montreal, workers took to the streets to protest, calling on the government to invest more money in the networks and their transit. In Peterborough, transit workers could be off the job by early next week. But when it comes to the Hamilton situation, I mean, what does this mean for that city, given, as you mentioned, Greg, who knows how many thousands of people are about to descend upon it with no access to public transit as it stands? Yeah, well, you heard in there uh, with regard to rideshare, Uber, Lyft, the other services, that's going to put a strain on those services and the ability for those companies to provide the service that they're used to. You've heard of surge pricing. Though that'll be in effect. So the 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 cost that you're used to paying for a certain trip probably going to cost more, going to put a strain on taxi cabs, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's all these cascading impacts of the transit strike when it comes to everyday life. And then you you add on, you know, 5, 10, 15,000 people that don't live in Hamilton coming there for four or five, six days. I can imagine it's going to be a little bit problematic. And I'm just looking at uh, an article here from the Hamilton Spectator from yesterday. The headline there, Will Football Force a Quick End to the Hamilton Transit Strike? And it points to the 1996 HSR strike, and that's the Hamilton Street uh, Railway uh, Company. They uh, It says that uh, that strike ended in days, just in time for a local Grey Cup game. That's right. But with a week ago, week to go ahead of, just under a week now, ahead of this year's CFL championship, the union and city have not even agreed to return to the bargaining table. Great. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, better transit across the country is imperative for so many people for so many reasons. Feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. But up next, we're going to use this transit discussion to launch a different one because... Hopefully, we've all had memorable experiences on transit. Hopefully, mostly good. But if you have had a bad one, you can weigh in with that as well at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to a concert we'll tell you about in a moment. It is Mackling McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We have tickets up for grabs for Foreigner coming to Canada Life Centre on May 16th, 2024. And in a moment, we'll tell you how you can win those. Although just consequently, uh, this is a big week in Winnipeg for concerts. We've got Kiss tonight, Jonas Brothers tomorrow, and Sarah McCarthy. You're going to both of them? Going to both. (laughs) Wow. I'm going to be tired, but I'm not working, so that... (laughs) Sarah, you don't even need to go and see Kiss tonight. I already gave you a Kiss concert this morning at 5.30. There's a little performance happening in the newsroom. The opening number. That's right. (laughs) You want the best! You got the best! The hottest bat in the world! Kiss! Oh, I wish I was going to be there tonight. At 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Yeah, there's a reason why I hide out in the studio <laughs> before the, the show starts. Of the newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we just had a conversation about transit and the fact that Hamilton transit workers are on strike, and what's that going to mean for Grey Cup weekend? But let's use that as a springboard to ask you about a memorable experience 
you had on transit. And generally, we try, you know, often we try to keep things light. So if you have a positive one, maybe the first time you took a subway or a monorail or something, or if you want to go the other way, and maybe it was memorable for the wrong reasons, whether it was the transit's fault or your fault. Like, for example, I can't tell you how many times I had to run after my bus in high school, pretty much every day in high school. I had to chase down the 90 down Madeline Street in Transcona because I was late, uh, because I was a procrastinator and I would push it to be running down the street. Although I guess I, it's probably why I was in better shape in high school because I was constantly <laughs> sprinting every day. <laughs> so let's go around the horn here. Poitras, let's start with you. Uh, well, this is a great cup story, so it works out very well. Um, well, I was working in Calgary. And uh, uh, when I uh, we were working for CQR there, uh, which is a sister station of CJOB, and uh, they cover the Calgary Stampeders games. And the Stamps, I think, were in Vancouver or they were somewhere. Uh, anyways, they ended up winning uh, the Grey Cup that year. And uh, the voice of the uh, Stampeders, uh, a great guy, great mentor to me, uh, Mark Steven, um, he, he collected a bunch of confetti. Um, and he walked into the, the newsroom, uh, the day that he got back from the great cup and he looked at everybody and he pulled all this confetti out of his pocket and threw it all over the place. <laughs> and so I collected some of it. Um, the, but I was taking, I would walk to work and then I would take a bus back and the, the transit driver that, um, uh, that I would, um, uh, that I would take on my way home late at night was a big stamps fan. He had his whole, uh, he had always had a hat on. He had his, his entire dash was covered in like stamp stuff. So I collected up some of the confetti and I uh, put it in a bag and I, and I, and I got on the bus and, and the guy was there and I said, Hey, this is, um, I just got this, um, from a coworker. This is confetti from the field, uh, from the stamps, uh, winning the gray cup. Aww. And, uh, he looked at me, he's like, get on the bus. And then for the rest <laughs> for months until he transferred somewhere else, I don't know where he went. Uh, but I got, uh, he just, did, you, uh, did you get free fare? I would once? never do that. I would never do that. That's amazing. When he said get on the bus, he meant, of course, me to pay. Oh, and I pay, and I continued to pay <laughs> of course he for did. months on end. Like probably double, right? Because oh, you just, well, just, just out of the goodness of your heart. I, I tipped, yeah. I was trying yeah. to tip him. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Mine is, um, so I never rode any transit, having grown up in Dryden, but then went off to school, London, Ontario. Don't have a vehicle there, have to navigate this whole new system. And uh, so we got a bus pass with like our tuition. So that was really nice and great system down there as well. Um, but one of the first times I'm going to the grocery store, I had been on the bus a couple other times with my friends who were more transit versed than I was. Mm. Um, but then, so I'm going by myself to like the grocery store and get I get on after I have my groceries, just this is totally my fault also. Um, I just get so turned around. I have no idea where I am. It's pitch blackout. It's like it's like this time of year where it sunsets so early. Can't even tell where I am. So then I'm just like, I'm just going to get off the bus right here, walk across the road and head back the other way and see what happens and figured it out. But yeah, just... A memorable experience. How many groceries trends. did you have? Just like two bags. So it wasn't like too terrible. <laughs> How long of a walk did you have? Uh, to get to the other side. It sounds like to get to the other side. I <laughs> uh, just like Why 10 did Sarah minutes. To get back on the right bus. Um, no, just like a 10 minute walk with those groceries. But uh, yeah, that was humbling experience. <laughs> 4J? Uh, you know, I have... 
so many stories that are like more negative because like those are the ones that really stand out in your mind. But you know what? Let, let's let's go with the positive. If you've ever been on a transit bus heading towards downtown during a whiteout party, it is nuts. It is so <laughs> much fun. Like everyone is just pumped. They're all screaming, go Jets, go, like <laughs> chanting. Everyone's chanting. Everyone's in a good mood. You feel safe. Ugh. I will take take a bus. Take a bus during during a whiteout party. It's it's the funnest time you'll ever have. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mackling, what about you? Well, when I went to Helsinki, it was five, six years ago already. I can't believe it's that long. I stayed at my friend's apartment. Long story short, she stayed with her sister. I stayed at her apartment. She's showing me the lay of the land. And she goes to the bus stop right across the street. That'll take us to the metro. And then you can take the metro downtown. And then you take the train to the arena. You'll be there in 12 minutes. I said, well, how often does the bus come? Do I need a schedule or whatever? She goes, it's always coming. What do you mean? (laughs) She says, just go out. The bus is always coming. That's what they say. It's always coming. And so first time we did it sort of a dry run, we went out. And three minutes later, there was the bus pulled up and... That was my experience for the entire week. You just went and the bus was there. Eventually, there was barely any weight whatsoever. And I'm taking the train to the arena to go to the first Jets practice. And this lady is all in Jets gear, another woman in Jets gear, another man. They're all in Jets gear. I go, you from Winnipeg? Well, no, we're from Finland, but uh, we cheer for the Jets. Patrick Liney's mom and dad. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and they're giving me directions. You have to get That's off cool. on the next. You have to get off at the next stop. I'm like, really? Like, we just got on. It's very quick. Very quick. <laughs> <laughs> so the bus is always coming, and you don't have as much time as you think you do to charge your phone or anything like that on the train in Helsinki because you're there real quick. It is. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. We're asking you about a memorable transit experience where anywhere in the world, good or bad. And this one from Shannon, not so good, saying this is going back to way, way back. I lived in the country. I wanted to move to Winnipeg to experience the city. My parents told me I needed to get a job and save up money to register the car they were going to let me use. So I moved to Winnipeg with my brother. He lived on Grant Avenue. The only job I could find that would hire somebody who had not ever worked before was Zeller's on McPhillips Northgate. So I had to learn the transit system and take a bus from McPhillips to Grant every day. Unfortunately, the time of year was winter, and it was one of the worst winters I can remember, particularly because I was not dressed very well because I was moving into the city, and I don't know, I thought city people don't wear winter boots and heavy clothing. (laughs) I told my mom she was crazy. Well, first snowstorm that I stood outside of Zeller's waiting for my bus it never came for well over an hour, so I walked back into the store to try to warm up just as my bus drove by. It was one of the worst experiences taking transit ever since then. I've always made sure I have enough money to insure a vehicle because I don't want to have to take public transit. Again. See, and that's the experience of many people. Uh, full buses bypassing them, buses that are late. I can remember, gosh, it's 30 years, I think, since they started Telebus. Oh, more than that, where you could phone the bus stop and it would tell you. So I kind of give you an idea that the bus was running late or whatever. Clearly not a perfect system because they didn't have GPS tracking back then. Yeah. I'm not even exactly sure how they were accomplishing those updates, but you would call and you'd get the, the bus time. And, you, and you know, in good weather, mostly it would match up and it'd be pretty good. 
But I mean, we've evolved. And, and so when you go other places and you realize that the bus is always coming or the train is always coming yeah. and you can just go onto Portage Avenue or Grant Avenue and there'll be a bus coming in two or three or five minutes, completely different than what we deal with here. Yeah. And Shannon, thank you for sharing that story. You know, I used to take the bus all the time and I didn't have any problems with it, but I will say that I don't even want to think about the amount, the number of hours I've lost just waiting for a bus that might not ever come. It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. Derek Taylor joins us at 9.05 to tee up the Grey Cup. 9.35, Rick Mercer joins us to talk about his latest book, The Road Years. It's a sequel to his opening memoir, Talking to Canadians, and this book picks up his story at an exciting point with the green lighting of the Rick Mercer report. Oh, well, hey, here's, uh, here's one that people might remember from 12 years ago, Rick Mercer report. Welcome to Winnipeg, Manitoba, where for nine months a fever has gripped this city. Adults cannot concentrate. Children cannot sleep. Dogs are lying down with cats. What is causing this pandemonium? The Winnipeg Jets are back in town. And Rick actually dressed in goaltender equipment and went out on the ice with the Jets. Really? With the GST line at the time. Thorburn, Glass, GST, Thorburn, Glass, and Stapleton? Nope. Damn, I can't remember. <laughs> who was the who was the S? Uh, Tanner Glass, Chris Thorburn. <laughs> I, I, this, this, I know this is driving you insane right it now. It is. Because I, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. For, are you kidding? Come on, Forget listeners. 204-780-6868. <laughs> Tanner Glass, Jim Slater. Jim Slater. And Chris Thorburn. Slater Jim. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dang. How dare you not remember ah, something dri- about hockey? Driving nuts. I don't know. I've ever seen this happen. <laughs> <laughs> Your encyclopedic knowledge about sports never ceases to amaze. Oh, I let and, you down there. Oh, not at all. That's fun. And we're going to talk some about interesting things in hockey at a moment in terms of getting the game to more youth and to more diverse uh, demographics. But before that, a reminder that we have tickets to give away to see Foreigner. And we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about a memorable transit experience that you've had either good or bad, in Winnipeg or somewhere else. What does Dan have to say? I've been lucky enough to have used public transportation all over the world, but when I think of transit memories, they are all in Winnipeg. And the kindness of the people who ride the bus. You see people helping strangers on and off the bus with their groceries, or people giving up their seats for the elderly, or mothers who have multiple children struggling to find a place to sit. There is always someone who is standing up and offering their seat. I can tell you firsthand that you don't see this in a lot of other parts of the world. Many would say Winnipeg Transit isn't the greatest. Dan says, but their riders certainly are. Well, Dan, I I would say consider yourself lucky that you've seen the positive. Not to rain on the parade here, but uh, the Fortier's aunt who had someone walk up to her two weeks ago on the bus and just take her phone and get off the bus, I think that that she'd probably disagree with you, Dan. But that's great. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those 400 tickets. We'll pick a winner at 915. Now, right now, 
we want to talk about how work continues on making it easier for young people to get involved in sports, particularly our national game, hockey. And here's the headline on the topic. NHLPA and NHL recognize 10 years of growing the game with the Industry Growth Fund. Hockey is not a cheap game to play, and that's why stuff like this matters, Brett. Chris Campoli is an NHLPA divisional player representative, joins us now. Chris, good morning. Hi, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you very much. And uh, just talk about this industry growth fund before we get into the details as to what it does for uh, young people and helping grow the game in our country. Yeah, so the industry growth fund um, came out of a proposal the players made to the league in 2012 in collective bargaining. Um, And so the idea behind it was there was no real growth strategy, you know, not to be critical, but at the time, um, there just wasn't. And, you know, it was something we had identified as players where we needed to grow and get better. So um, today it's grown to $30 million of grow the game initiatives. Um, And there's various uh, buckets where this money comes from, but we've got flagship league wide programs now where, clubs run in Canada. It's called the first shift program where it's like, you know, a learn to play or introduction to hockey program. Uh, in the, in the U S we call it our learn to play program. Um, and every club run runs one. So now kids can integrate into the game, try the game. There's learn to skates, learn to plays and, you know, have an experience where they're being connected to the club and ideally, you know, become hockey fans and, and drive growth, uh, that way. So it came out of bargaining. Um, I was actually part of, uh, the negotiating committee when we made the proposal and now, um, you know, being in a position where I can oversee the fund uh, for the players, uh, you know, I feel extremely fortunate and, and it's great to see how much it's, it's grown and, and the success we've had. So the, the fund has spent the past 10 years investing more than $180 million in developing programming. And curious to know, like, because I know that diversity is a crucial component of this. So how is this fund creating more access to hockey for diverse demographics? Yeah, so we support a number of um, different programs. We've got different partners um, in diverse areas of uh, communities in, co- in the country, uh, both Canada and U.S. And, and so there's an, a few different ways. But, you know, sometimes um, when we think diversity, diversity doesn't always mean, you know, the kids that can't afford to play necessarily or the families. You know, it's often in Canada, especially, we've got, you know, new families to the country and, that you know, they never seen the game before. And so it's about, you know, taking the barriers down to making it, it easier for them to enter the game, feel comfortable to enter the game. Um, so we've got a few different programs. Um, you know, we've done some real successful things. And I'll give you an example. In Toronto, um, last uh, last year in Hamilton, there was the outdoor game. And we held um, an event we call cultural advancement. So we had uh, different organizations in the Toronto area um, participate in like a shark tank uh, format um, uh, presentation where they would apply for funding. You know, they'd tell us why they needed it. Um, You know, we'd ask some questions around sustainability. You know, it wasn't too crazy, but, um, you know, there's a process for sure. And and so one of the programs uh, that were there um, is a partner of the NHLPA and the Toronto Police Program. We were, we've created a program with them where um, we donate equipment and, and police identify kids in, in higher risk areas um, of the city, often uh, diverse areas. And so um, our deputy chief uh, in Toronto here was there applying for additional funding through the IGF 
to help this program grow, to give these kids another place to play hockey and further them along. Well, 60 kids participated and 27 of them this year signed up to play hockey in Scarborough, a suburb in Toronto. And so, you know, that's an amazing story. These are the things um, the IGF is doing. And, and, you know, we're not always telling the story, but it's happening and it's so important. So, um, yeah, really proud. Uh, but that's a great example of how we're working in, in different diverse communities with partners who, who, uh, who care about um, growing the game in these areas. Chris, here in Winnipeg, the, the Jets, I think, do a tremendous job in terms of engaging with, you mentioned new Canadians and, and those that maybe didn't grow up with the game. And so we have a South Asian Heritage Night. We have Filipino Heritage Night. It engages, uh, you know, some of the fastest growing communities in our city, in our province, and exposing uh, these individuals to the game in terms of watching it. But that eventually has to turn into people from those communities playing the game as well, wouldn't you think? Well, I mean, ideally you expose them. You can never make anyone do anything, but you expose them to the game and, you know, all it has to offer, the values uh, it brings, you know, and, and, you know, being part of a team, there's a number of amazing things the game brings. And, and so, yeah, like ideally you integrate them and, and, and they stay, you know, in a perfect world. If they don't, you know, they don't, but um, I, I will say this uh, in Winnipeg, you know, Mark Chipman has been a huge proponent of the Industry Growth Fund. He, your organization, um, is as forward-thinking as we have. Um, you know, they're in the community. They're doing things, um, um, not necessarily different, but but for sure, they're they're leaders um, in the area. So, um, no, really proud to work closely with them, and then um, they've done a, a heck of a job as, of integrating the community and um, and growing their programs, the Learn to Play program, especially. It's a fund that generates interest in the game with female, with BIPOC, other underrepresented fans. I know in Canada, the NHL and NHLPA Bauer First Shift program has registered 45,000 players, including more than 15,000 girls. So that's all stupendous stuff. Before we let you go, though, Chris, uh, just on a lighter note, I'm curious, does any of this involve getting hockey parents to behave themselves more appropriately on the sideline? You know, it's a, it's an interesting uh, question, and the short answer is no. Um, you know, I've got a six-year-old. Um, I live in Burlington, Ontario, which is a suburb of uh, you know, Greater Toronto area, and um, it's been a great uh, experience so far. But I've heard of a number of different ones that aren't, and you know, I got to tell you, like um, when I hear this stuff, it's troubling because. This game is about fun. It has so much to offer uh, families and kids, you know, um, experiences. And, and, you know, the notion that you get this, um, these elite models, these, these, the pressure on these kids. I mean, it's really the last thing they need with everything happening now in their lives, you know. Um, so it's critical that we focus on fun, um, um, you know, the advantages and the positives from playing in a team, teamwork, sportsmanship, respect, fair play, you know, picking each other up when you're down, little things that um, aren't just critical to like hockey development. These are life skills. You know, that's what I've learned in transitioning out from playing and now working with the National Hockey Player Association, you know, at times in an office, it's like, a lot of different people from different backgrounds and doing different things. And, you know, these are skills um, that I never knew I had, but I have because of the game. 
And so we really need to focus on the fun, the experience for these kids. Um, we want to keep them in the game, you know, not want them to leave it. Um, so, you know, if anything, if anyone's listening, you know, regarding parents or situations, really let's make this about the kids. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what matters. I was far more candid than I anticipated, and I thank you and salute you for that, sir. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time, Chris. Okay, guys. Have a good one. Thank Chris, you. Chris Campoli is an NHLPA Divisional Player Representative, once again celebrating 10 years of the Industry Growth Fund, looking to make it easier for young people of all walks of life to get involved in the game. And that, I was just trying to make a joke. But that was a really important answer. The culture of hockey has been under the microscope for probably a decade or more in particular. And the things that Chris listed as the important things that our children and ourselves should get out of team sport, he nailed 100%. And unfortunately, that's some of the thing that's getting lost in the eyes of many I can tell you that my son played football, high school football the last two years, and he got all the best things out of that sport. So not all sport and not all aspects of hockey are broken, uh, whether you think they are or not. It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. Coming up at 935, Rick Mercer joins us to discuss his next book, The Road Years, part of a double bill book launch tomorrow at Knox United Church with Jan Arden. So he's going to tell us about his next memoir, which picks up his story just as the Rick Mercer report was green lit. But right now it's time for our first Grey Cup report brought to you by Perfect Landscape Construction, your family-owned and operated commercial landscaper since 1977. Derek Taylor getting ready to head to the hammer for Sunday's big game. Like the, like the, like I'm Jim the Hammer Shapiro. I sue drunks. It's a good name for a city. DT, welcome to the program, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me. The uh, Blue Bombers, like last week, they've got a couple of key players who are questionable to dress on Sunday. So who are you going to be watching for a practice tomorrow at Tim Hortons Field? Yeah, all eyes will be on Adam Big Hill because he's the one I think that there are questions about. I, I don't think the answers will be particularly positive as questions, but, uh, you know, we're, we'll be focused on, on Big Hill, kind of the center of that Blue Bombers defense. Uh, is it his ankle? Is it his knee? What was the, what was the injury? Was it a calf thing? And just is it even realistic to expect he'd be able to play by Sunday when he did not walk off uh, the field to the locker room at halftime? He waited for the cart to take him off. So that'd be the first one. And then Dalton Schoen is with the team. Uh, I just I just don't think that the guy that missed the Western final will be able to play in the Grey Cup. But if there's any chance, if there's even like a dot of hope that Dalton Schoen could play, that would be just enormous for the Bombers. So. Those are the two big ones. And then we want to check the status of Nick Dembski and Rashid Bailey, two guys who played, but I think it would be tough to say they were 100% in the Western final. Uh, how will they look? I think we expect them to play, but how will they look in the Grey Cup? Because uh, you, you need all the receivers you can get against a defense like Montreal. DT, the weather forecast, pretty splendid for the next couple of days. And then Friday, it gets a little more murky and uh, maybe more Winnipeg-like as we head to the game uh, game time and opening kickoff Sunday evening. So that'll potentially be... Uh, 
an issue as well. Last time that this game was in Hamilton in 2021, on the Saturday before the game, the winds were blowing 80 to 100 kilometers an hour. Now, granted, that was in the first week of December, but... Just because you're in the golden horseshoe doesn't guarantee anything in terms of the weather any time of year, let alone in the middle of November. Unfortunately, that is absolutely true. Uh, yeah, the benefit is December 12th versus November 19th, right? So fingers crossed that being uh, almost a month earlier allows us for uh, for some better weather. But I, I don't think the Bombers are in any way concerned about weather. They were disappointed last week that uh, it was so nice you know, relatively speaking, for the Western final. They wanted BC to be punished by a little bit because, you know, these guys are, are Winnipeg tough. So I, I think they're they're ready for just about anything. But, yeah, it, it a turn in the weather could definitely change the, the quality of game that we would see. And I would love to see these two teams just go be able to go wide open against each other. So tomorrow, CFL Awards down the road in Niagara Falls. Give us the rundown of the Blue Bombers who are up for awards and in your – in your mind, their likelihood of success. Yeah, so Brady Oliveira for most outstanding player. He goes up against the Argos, Chad Kelly. Brady also for most outstanding Canadian. Uh, he goes up against Mark antoine de Croix, which playoffs play no factor in the voting. They were all done before the playoffs. And as de Croix took a touch uh, interception back 100 yards for a touchdown to help Montreal upset Toronto, that probably would have you know, turned a couple more votes his way. But uh, honestly, most outstanding Canadians should be Brady. And as great as uh, DeCroix is, I don't, I don't think people are going to go as hard for a defensive player as they will for Brady. So that's one to me he's going to win. Most outstanding player, I think, is going Chad Kelly just because it's a quarterback and his team won 16 games this year. Stanley Bryant up for most outstanding lineman. He goes against the Toronto Argonauts, Dejon Allen. That one, I think, is going to be close. Statistically, it would be Allen. Uh, Record-wise, it would be Allen, but uh, Jamarcus has been so good for so long that I wonder if there's some uh, some sentiment to give him that one. And then Coach of the Year is Mike O'Shea against the Toronto Argonauts coach Ryan Dinwiddie. I ended up voting up for Ryan Dinwiddie in that one. It's five wins better than last year where the Argos. They won 16 games. They had a terrific offense without the best complement of players. I don't think their receiving core is – equivalent to the to the Bombers for sure. I think it's a far distance away, and yet they were still able to put up a terrific offense. So I think that one goes Ryan Dinwiddie. But, uh, so I'll be watching for Brady Oliveira and maybe a Jamarcus Hardrick sneaking in there. All right, so before we let you go, Derek, Montreal was the underdog last week and this week. What do the Bombers have to be prepared for from the Owls? Yeah, defensively there is where Montreal is strong. They actually uh, they allow fewer points than they score, so they have a negative point differential. Uh, well, at least uh, offensively speaking. And they get away with that because they're great at generating touchdowns from other spots, right? Eight on defense, four on special teams, and that doesn't include the playoff game where they added uh, they added three more, two on defense and one on special teams. So the offense can't be turning the ball over, and what's been a struggling set of cover units for the Bombers has to be, you know, especially cautious in this game because all of a sudden, bam, James Letcher's 100 yards into the end zone and it turns the tide of the game. So those are, those are the two big ones. The Bombers should be able to get theirs on offense. Just while you're on offense, don't give the Montreal any of their own. DT, we'll see you at the airport in uh, just over two hours' time. I don't know if we're sitting next to one another on the plane or not. Um, do you take off your shoes on the plane? Like, 
sock feet or, or uh, do you clip your nails or anything annoying like that on the aircraft? Well, yeah, I get my toe knife out and I just start kind of digging because I've got time, right? You might as well just start cleaning things out in there. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if uh, if there's any always and sunny in Philadelphia fans, but uh, toe knife for the win. <laughs> I'm gonna be changing my uh, seat online as soon as we get off the air here. See you later, brother. All right, buddy. Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. I missed the bus. <laughs> I missed the bus. Some crisscross. We're asking you about bus. memorable transit experiences for a chance to win some tickets for Foreigner coming to Canada Life Center May 16th, 2024. And uh, I assume you want to begin then, Greg, with Jacob as one of our runners up. Yeah, Jacob just has this uh, wonderful story. It's kind of a one of those Winnipeg stories. He said... That's something that happened to him on the bus about four years ago. It was 10 seconds late, rushed out to meet my bus, which zoomed by, and the driver just waved at me without stopping. Fortunately, a guy in a pickup saw this, turned around. We caught up to the bus, and I got on. The bus driver played dumb. Never saw the pickup driver again, and Jacob just wanted to say, if you're listening, thank you for that. That happened to me once on Bellevue. I was racing after the bus and missed it, and a guy in a pickup truck stopped and this is like 12 years ago. And he uh, said, get in, we'll catch him. And then we got caught up to the bus and I yelled at the driver and the driver yelled at me. And then at the end, when I got off, I said, I'm sorry. And the driver said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that driver got me to the to the bus at nice. uh, Bellevue and St. Anne's as I was trying to get downtown. Yeah, because um, those buses come super frequently. <laughs> yeah, it was. And they were always, and that was a problem. It was always early. It didn't matter how early I left. They were, I was always early. Amanda says, instead of getting me to South St. Vitale, I ended up at the end of Ellis Avenue near the airport. Amanda got on the wrong 14. Wrong 14. Went the wrong way. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the shopping, not very good there. No, 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 probably not. Henry Paul's with an interesting one. If you took transit in Russia way back when and it was full, it was kind of a frightening experience. We had no car, so no other option. The bus would be jammed, but people would still be determined to hitch a ride. No safety rules, so anywhere you could grab and hang on was fair game. There's people hanging outside the doors that could not close. And the most most important person was the last one on the bus who would hold on to the grab bars and keep the others from falling out. Terrific. If you experience this once, you will most likely wait for the next one and hope it's not as bad. But I think we got to jump ahead to our winner here, Greg Mackling, who is Michelle Trudeau. My husband and I were in, is it Papite? I think it's Papiette. Okay. It's in the South Pacific. All right. And took the bus to to town to get some beverages. Once we had our purchase, we got on a bus back to the hotel. It was hot. It was crowded. People with goats. Numerous other animals. We had to stand as there were no seats. The bus was really going fast. Lots of high speed and quick stops. And the bottles my husband was carrying were, you could say, reacting. It was so funny. We couldn't stop laughing. Hanging on for dear life. Among all the animals, clanking bottles and people staring at us. One memory neither of us will ever forget. Hey, you want to bring goats on a bus into the conversation? (laughs) Your chances of winning go up substantially. Well, especially if everyone's staring at them. Like, they're the outliers. (laughs) Like, I've just got on a bus with goats. It's not something I'm used to. just want to get my beverages back to the hotel in the heat of the French Polynesians. Anyway, 
Michelle, you win. Congratulations. You're going to see Foreigner. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Our next guest is a man who has been making Canadians laugh for decades as he crisscrosses the country to learn, to teach us more about, and, and maybe laugh a little bit at Canadiana. He's part of a McNally Robinson double bill book launch event tomorrow night at Knox United Church at 400 Edmonton Street with Jan Arden, and it is definitely not his first visit to Winnipeg. Hello. Rick Mercer? Chris Sorber. Nice. Chris, nice to see you. Tanner Glass. Tanner? Jim Slater. Jim Slater. Okay, and you guys are known as the what? The GST line. The GST line. This is the thing. I travel all over Canada, and people always say, what are you doing here, no matter where I go? Except in Winnipeg, people just say, are you going to the Jets? I said, yes, I'm going to the Jets. Then I said, I'm going to skate with the Jets, and they, they act like I'm going to the space shuttle. Like, I'm going, to, I'm going to the moon. Can you buy yourself a beer in this town? Is that even possible? You have to fight them off, but you can do it. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> Tanner Glass, Jimmy Slater, and Chris Sorber in the GST line interacting with our guest, Rick Mercer. Rick, great to have you back on the show. How are you, friend? I'm excellent, thank you. Looking forward to getting there. Yeah, well, the latest book, The Road Years of Memoir, continued. Talk about how many times you figured, did, did you ever track how many miles, kilometers that you traveled over those 15 oh. years or so crisscrossing the country? When we wrapped up the show, someone in my office did start working that stuff out, but I'm terrible with numbers. But I remember there was like 32 kilometers of rants I think <laughs> it was like an insane amount. And, and we did create, you remember, you know how on Google maps you can drop a pin sure. and, and cover where you've been. So uh, someone in my office said, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a pin every place you've been. And we did that. But then when you hit enter, the entire country disappeared under a big blob. <laughs> so we had to, we had to create our own series of pins because we did cover the country so much that uh, when I saw, saw all those dots, I was very pleased. I mean, I wish there was some more in the far north and, and some areas of the country. But, yeah, we, we got around over those 6 to 15 years. And that's what this book is about, right? It's about all of those adventures. It's about, yes, sure, talking to, like, cool people like the members of Rush, but also people who work in the oil sands, people, paramedics, nurses, fishermen, farmers, whoever, right? There was a lot of hockey players. There's a lot of people. Well, when you look back at the things you've been able to do and see and all the places you've been because of that show, does it ever occur to you, like, I got to do something that most Canadians probably wish they could do but just can't, and that's to see Canada. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've always been a big proponent of, hey, we got to get out there and see our own country. But the reality is, and, you know, we're a very large country. And if you're in Winnipeg and say, you go, yeah, maybe I'll take the kids to, to Halifax. Well, you go to Florida for half the price. It's a real problem. And most people will never get a chance to travel inside the country the way I did. And you could only really do it if, it's your, if it was your job. And it was an all-encompassing job. It was pretty nuts. We were, sometimes we would take off and land six, seven, eight times in a week. Uh, but it was, it was great fun. I ended up looking at the entire country like my town. Like I'd go like, well, I don't live in Winnipeg, but... I get there five, six, seven times a year. So I actually, I knew the whole place, you know, like there was coffee shops that I went to in Winnipeg. I was kind of a regular in a way, even though I never lived there. 
it was an odd way to live for 15 years. That sounds like a fascinating way to live. Our guest, Rick Mercer, joining us. And we were just at a gala dinner, uh, I think it was last week, hosting a gala dinner. And, and one of the prizes was a trip to Churchill in Manitoba to go and see right. the polar bears, right? And it was five, sure. it was worth five or $6,000. But if you ask anyone that lives in Manitoba, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? Top three answers. One of them would be Churchill for sure for a majority sure. of people. Yet it's, it's right here in Manitoba, yet it's so really unattainable financially yeah. for so many folks. It's, it's really too bad. It, it really is. And especially, uh, yeah, when you start going far flung places that don't have a lot of flights in and out and the North is like that. Any t- chance anyone has any, any opportunity for any reason to go to the North, uh, or the Arctic. I mean, absolutely seize the day. And I've done that trip. Of course I got to go to Churchill, Manitoba. I've done that trip and it's, it's mind blowing. And, uh, yeah, that's something I'll never forget. And, um, And I know that the piece that we shot in Churchill, Manitoba is still wildly popular on YouTube and stuff. I often get mail from people internationally uh, about Churchill because, of course, it's one of the one of the reasons people come to Canada. And if they want to go go see a polar bear, well, that's where they're going to go. So maybe that's why it's expensive as well. But, um, yeah, point taken. So the book, The Road Years, A Memoir Continued, is the sequel to your memoir, Talking to Canadians, and it picks up at a pretty important important point in your career, as you mentioned, the green lighting of the Rick Mercer report. And just looking at the press release here, there's a detail that kind of stuck out for me. It points to how you and your partner, Gerald Lunds, were determined to do something with the show that comedy tends to avoid is too challenging, and that's emphasize the positive. So I'm curious to know, why was it seen by, by others as being too challenging to be positive. It's not that it's seen by others. It's just kind of one of the rules of comedy. And, and, you know, when you get a laugh in grade three or five, you don't get it by celebrating the teacher. You get it at the expense of the teacher. And the further you go up the food chain, if you can get a laugh at the expense of the principal, now you're cooking with gas. Uh, now you're a hero. And that's the way comedy works. And, and that's fine. There's a lot of, uh, but, we just decided not to do that. So if we were going to go to Thunder Bay, we were there to celebrate it. You know what I mean? We weren't, and if we were going to Churchill, we were going to celebrate. We weren't going to make any snide comments about where can I get a cup of coffee in this town or anything like that. We were there to celebrate it. And anything else, it just wasn't allowed. It was a rule. And if we were talking, going into anyone's workplace, we were celebrating them. And I think that that served us really well over the years because people trusted us. So if we were going into like a recycling plant and there's a bunch of people and their job is there, they're on an assembly line and they're sorting garbage, they know that Mercer is not going to come in and make fun of them because they're sorting garbage. He's there to point out how cool this recycling plant is and, and, and do the job with them. And so it was a bit of a learning curve for a lot of people who came to work with us who were comedians and writers because their first instinct is to make fun of something, right? Whereas we went the other way. Rick, we always say our listeners are our radio family. We have some very, very close relationships with people we've never met that text us or email us or call us on a regular basis. And so we have this connection with them. And so that just just exemplifies the, the privilege that, that we have every single morning to speak with them. Talk about Canadians 
in a sense that you mentioned going to a place of business and you knew nobody was going to, or they knew that nobody was going to come in to make fun of them. Like these everyday heroes that really become the star of, of what you're doing. Uh, well, they were always there and it was, you know, a couple of years into our show, we won this very prestigious international award that nobody in Canada has ever heard of. It's called the Rose Door. And uh, the only reason it's important in the TV business is traditionally, if you win the Rose Door, other countries want to make your show. So big shows like The Office won the Rose Door. Uh, And we won the Rose Door. And sure enough, all these other countries started sniffing around, wondering if they could do a version of the show in their country. And once they looked at our format, they became completely confused. They were like, okay, so one week, your guest is the prime minister of Canada. We go, yes. And the next week, it's a rock star. Yes. But then the third week, the, lead, the big guest was an oyster fisherman. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, how, how does a show that features a prime minister the next week feature an oyster fisherman? And then they realized that there was a lot of people who just had regular jobs and they all kind of wandered away and didn't really get it. And they didn't. So that therefore there was no German version of the Rick Mercer report or any of that business. But that was a big part of the show was to take people quite often who had never been on television, probably never will be on television ever again and make them look like rock stars. Because, you know what, it's easy to talk to a professional entertainer and have them come across good because that's what they do for a living. But if you go into an environment, like I say, a recycling plant or something, uh, you know, you're not getting road tested professionals. You're just getting regular folks and being able to talk to people and put them at ease and, and, and make them look good. That was, uh, that was a big part of the show. Before we let you go, Rick, I, I got to ask you about this. What, what is the train of death? Well, the train, <laughs> I devote a chapter to the train of death because we, as we, the show evolved, we realized people really liked seeing me in distress or in peril. So we called them host in peril segments. And they started to get a little out of, out of control. And the one day I realized this is that we have to stop this. I was in, doing something called the train of death. And the train of death, okay, quickly, you get three cars. The first car has an engine, but no brakes. And then there's about 25 feet of chain off the back. And there's a new second car. That car has no engine, no brakes. And then there's about 25 feet of chain. And then there's a third car where I was, no engine, but a a set of brakes. And so the first car was setting the pace and we're going around this racetrack. This is just the test run. This is before we were running against other teams. And the rear car is whipping out of control. It's like she's whipping around and slamming into the car in front of me. And it's it's threatening to tip over. And I know I'm going to go over. And I really thought, this is it. I'm going to die here. And then I thought, I'm going to die doing something called the train of death. And that's a comedy death because what you don't want is you don't want to die in a way that when people hear that you die, they, they kind of laugh. And that's what would have happened. People would have said, oh, my, that's terrible. He died. How? Hit by a car? No, he was doing something called the train of death. Well, I guess it was his own fault then, wasn't it? Right there so- in the title. <laughs> right there in the, as advertised. And the kid, the kid who inv- invited me, I said to him on camera, I said, uh, so uh, what made you think of me? And he said, well, uh, seen you do a lot of stupid things on your show. This is about, <laughs> a, this is about as stupid as it can get. And, I, and then he was like my guide. But then when we started, 
he was in the supposed to be in the middle car and he wasn't there. And I was like, what happened to the dude? What happened to the dude? And they all said, oh, his mother showed up and um, he's hiding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is outstanding. Rick Mercer, thank you for joining us once more. We appreciate this very much. Thank you. Rick Mercer will be in Winnipeg tomorrow, Thursday, November 16th, for a McNally Robinson double bill book launch event with Jan Arden at Knox United Church at 7 o'clock. And once again, his new book is called The Road Years, A Memoir Continued.